Welcome to Functional Design and Closure. I am Nate Jones. And I'm Christoph Newman. We're here to help you use closure and functional programming to make your everyday life as a developer less frustrating and more fulfilling. We're here to answer your closure questions and using closure in the wild, using closure for real, using closure in anger. How do you get stuff done with closure? We would love to hear how you get stuff done in closure, and we would love to hear what's on your mind uh, about closure and how to, how, to, how to use it in a practical sense. <laughs> yes, we want to know how you're using it in anger, but also in happiness. So yes, if you would yes. like to reach out, um, please send us a tweet at Closure Design on Twitter or an email to f- feedback at closuredesign.club uh, or hop into our Closure Design dash podcast channel on the Closure in Slack and we can chat there. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. So this week we are continuing, we're continuing our Web of Complexity series <laughs> <laughs> because we do quite a, quite a lot of web related programming and boy oh boy talk about just accruing complexity in time and uh last week we kicked off talking about web sockets well actually we've been talking about web sockets for a few weeks but last week we were talking about making a component to track our pool of web sockets and trying to help manage some of that complexity on the server back end uh by by uh, like having a couple different layers Right, we had the layer, the web layer where the requests come in. Then we had a component that manages the pool, and then we had this like pure data model. It's like a bunch of pure functions that that help actually do the logic for the pool. And then the component uses a pure logic along with some atoms to to manage its current state, um, and then exposes functions up to the web layer to. To, to have a convenience API so the web layer doesn't have to do a bunch of uh, nitty-gritty details related to WebSocket. Yeah, it was actually a really good episode um, talking about kind of uh, structuring our application. Um, I think that's something that I, I've wanted to talk about more, but it's kind of hard to talk about a whole application um, you know, in an episode, but, but, but I think that's as, but probably as close as we were able to get, um, to saying like, you know, here's the different concerns and here's how they interrelate, um, in such a way that now the application is ready to, we're ready to add features, you know, we're ready to grow it. We're ready to, you know, start sending it out in the world. <laughs> right. And, 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 and seeing how, how it fares, you know? Yeah. And definitely the idea of, of having, a component be the keeper of the pool of sockets, it was very helpful, right? The web layer didn't have to worry about the socket management anymore. Like the API of the component itself is very utilitarian. It's like, what jobs does the web layer need to get done? And the jobs our web layer needed to get done was a new a new socket showed up and needs to get added into the pool. And uh, some important thing happened, and I need to send a notification out to the user. So here's a notification message for a user. Figure out if that user is currently connected. And if they are, send them a notification on the WebSocket, right? <laughs> so those are the kind of the two jobs it needs to get done. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it, it, it kind of was, was it's fun that the, the, with the WebSocket um, component, um, I believe we called it Socket Pool, uh, kind of exp- it exposes an API to the web layer that the web layer can use to get his job done. And by doing that, 
you know, we we raise we elevate the vocabulary that the web layer can operate at. It can operate at at an application level instead of at a WebSocket level, which is something that we think Clojure does really well. Yes, yes. And then what's nice is the pure model around managing the pool, that pure data model. So that's going to have your function. So there will be some kind of map that 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 maintains all the information related to the pool and then functions to update that map to add a socket in or remove a socket out. Um, what's nice is you can unit test that very extensively because it every function in that pure model takes the state and then takes whatever parameters it needs to do. So like adding in, a, add, add this WebSocket, right? It would take the, the current state and then the user and the WebSocket handle and it would put it in the map and then it returns a new state. And so you can really unit test that quite extensively. And then the components where those two things come together, right? The application facing API and then the low level pure model. And then it's, it actually has, it's the holder of the state there in that component level in the middle. And so that's, that's sort of uh, the, the, the relationship of each of those things. And, yeah. and so this week, we're going to take a look at an interesting problem that comes up in every WebSocket application that we've ever written. <laughs> Which <laughs> comes is those, up. Yes. It stabs yes. us in the eye. Yeah. It's yeah, sure. Not stabs in a friendly us way. In the eye. <laughs> Surfaces. <laughs> Actually, it doesn't stab us in the, in the eye. It just stops talking to us. It's like the ghosting of the web world. You know, what happens <laughs> when our WebSockets go dead? <laughs> right, right. Yes, WebSocket ghosting. So all of a sudden, this WebSocket just, it just stops talking to you. You know, you're like, well, are you there? Are, are, like, is it is it getting it? Are, are you alive? Are you dead? Are, are you seeing it and ignoring me? <laughs> What's going on? Yeah, I think, I think, I think that this is kind of where, you know, uh, polling and, and and other solutions to this the problem we talked about a few times ago are kind of more resilient because every every if you're polling every request is a chance to hear a response and and so you get all right. sorts of errors if there's problems but um, we decided to not use polling and we switched to websockets and because we switched websockets we get a lot of new facilities but we also get a lot of problems and one of those problems yeah. is it's a persistent socket and so there's all sorts of things in the middle that can cut that line. Right. With polling, every request is a fresh start, a fresh opportunity to recover from last last request errors. <laughs> but yeah, we wanted to be able to, in a timely manner, send these asynchronous notifications from the server to the client, which is why we switched, at, without beating up the server with a really high polling interval. And, and there is long polling which helps with this a little bit, but then it's also very complex. It's it just has beating its own it complexity. It's just beating yeah. the server up at a slower rate. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then you got to park connections and stuff. And anyway, so we chose WebSockets. So what we need to do is we need some way of knowing if this thing went dead. So what's really cool is the designers of the WebSocket standard <laughs> anticipated this. And so right. they built a, uh, this heartbeat mechanism right into the protocol, right? So you have WebSocket, pings, and pongs built right in the protocol so that you can know the healthiness of the socket uh, and whether or not it's gone dead, which is fantastic. 
Yes. And then all in all their infinite wisdom, they marked it as optional. <laughs> ah, optional. And, and the and, Chrome and, team uh, took them very seriously well, at their at their word, right? <laughs> if, if anyone has ever done anything with standards, you know that optional might as well not even be in the standard because yes. nobody's going to implement it. It's like, oh, would you like to do extra work? I don't think so. I don't. I would not like to do extra work. I would like to do the minimum amount to 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 satisfy the standard. Right. I am a hundred percent standards compliant, and fortunately, that standard marked everything as optional. So I literally did nothing, and I am now compliant. Hundred <laughs> percent. Exactly. And so, so yeah, Chrome specifically, it will respond to ping messages and send pong messages i should call them frames to be clear frames so that's like right. the low level protocol part a message is a thing there is a message frame <laughs> there are message frames and so it will respond to these uh, websocket frames but you cannot initiate pings from the browser side you you can't even tell them like the frequency or anything right so so you can't even construct them right like right yeah you can't you can't tell it send a ping you can't provide it configuration parameters when you create the WebSocket to say, I would like pings turned on at this interval. All, all the client side can do is respond to server-initiated things. And the problem with that is then the client cannot control the health interval. The client cannot decide its own health interval. And then also Chrome really doesn't give you a way to know when the last ping happened. So the client can't even decide like, oh, I haven't seen a ping in a long time. I should close a WebSocket and reopen. Right, because the, the whole the whole point of all this is we, we want we want the WebSocket to be alive and healthy so that, you know, when when I when I do click like or what was the uh, we not reduce we, uh, we we conj we whatever the like verb we used uh, on your idiom on our website, you know, um, that you get a notification uh in a, in a very timely manner. Like we don't want it to be your WebSocket has been dead for uh, an hour and, and, and I, but the server still thinks they can send you something, you know, you want well, to be able to on both sides tell if the, if the, if the socket is healthy. Yeah. Because one of the worst things about the way TCP works is TCP can have a socket go dead without either side knowing it went dead. And so it sends it sends a packet out and then that packet hits a router that no longer knows about the connection and just drops it. And so that you can have two ends speaking into the void and not really know about it if they're separated by enough network infrastructure um, that doesn't really report back on things getting closed. And so, so the, the only way you can tell if a socket is alive is if there's data flowing on it. That's the literally the only way. And we can't tell because of ping and pong fr or ping frames. So the only thing we're <laughs> the only thing we're left with at the WebSocket layer is is like message frames with you know a ping type in them. You know you know we got now we got a right a whole problem <laughs> with enveloping and blah blah blah. But still we have to send data. Right, and this is actually the official position of the Chrome team. Is if you need if you need heart beating, then you need to just implement that at the message level. Make your own bings and pongs, you know, go for it. 
<laughs> and so, so th- what that now means is we also need enveloping, right? Because now our messages that we're sending, because, because, well, let me clarify, WebSockets don't allow you to send headers, right? Not, not like HTTP requests, you can have a bunch of headers and then you have the body. WebSockets, right. you, there are no headers and body in these messages. There's just the message. So now the format of your message needs to discriminate between like different types of message. You know, how, how are we going to do that? So we decided we're, we're sending um, Eden over these, like serialized Eden over these uh, WebSockets. Ser- I guess serialized closure data to Eden because Eden is a serialization format. <laughs> <laughs> No, we're not going to have, we're not going to double encode. It's, it's like, uh, how many times have you used a JSON API where you got a field back that was JSON encoded, (laughs) JSON encoded string inside the JSON response? Oh man. I think I've only ever gotten that once where I, I don't remember where it was, but I remember there was actually a JSON encoded string inside of a JSON. Like there was like three levels of JSON. Um, (laughs) Yes. So I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying like we're, we're, so we have. Uh, a big map for our messages. So now we have to add a level at the top or, or a key at the top that says the type yeah. of the message so that we can then know how to interpret the remainder of the message or, or the nested message. So now we have to add enveloping so we right. can have pings and pongs message types as well as data, like notification message type. <laughs> We can have message message types. This is where this is how <laughs> programmers can go actually go crazy. Is that you actually have a message message type? Um, oh yes, yes. But yeah, so 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 because we're kind of forced into this, we have to start enveloping. Um, but but then then the question becomes, uh, who who is the pinger and who is the ponger? Like who who who's in the driver's seat here for the connection? Does the client? as in the browser send pings and the server send pongs back or did they both send pings like what's yeah. the what are the what are the, what are the trade-offs you know with each of those each of those options yeah cuz it really it really depends on like how how much death is acceptable or <laughs> how <laughs> how long the corpse must so lie morbid. before you can think that it's dead yes Tell yes Tell that it's dead yeah <laughs> Uh, maybe zombie apocalypse, you know, <laughs> I don't know, but yeah. How, how long is okay before you detect a, a stale WebSocket, a, a silently dead WebSocket and, and resurrect it. And it, at least in my experience, I found that the server cares way less about this problem than the client. The client is doing interactivity, right? And the client wants to know like really soon that, oh, this thing went dead. Um, and so the client will often want a much higher heartbeating interval than the server. Um, right, and and the server doesn't need as long of a... I mean, for the server, I think it's more of a resource management point of view. Like, I can keep a bunch of dead sockets around on the server, but but I want to know when they're dead so I can clean them up, like to manage my, my memory usage. Um, because I can I, having a dead socket and having a live socket are pretty much indistinguishable or it's not necessary to distinguish between them on the server side until I need to actually send a message on one of them. And then if I try to send a message on a dead socket, then I can just, oh, that message failed. I just throw the message away. You know, that person is getting a notification. Yeah. And so, so then the other, the other aspect of it is then you, 
if you have different timeouts, then then who who needs to know what timeout, right? So so we could we could have a scheme where they both just send ping messages. There are no pong. And so let's say the server is going to send a ping message every five seconds because the client wants uh, like a, a really quick heartbeat interval. And then the client sends a ping message every minute because the server wants a really slow heartbeat interval. But that's kind of annoying because then the <laughs> server needs to know how often the client wants a ping. And then the client needs to know how often the server wants a ping. And that that seems kind of silly, right? Like the server <laughs> well, think, should control the server's interval. The client should control the right. client's interval. I think in our case, it's 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 it like you're it it's a coupling of the server and the client. Like in our case, we are writing of the server and the client. Like so, that level of coupling could be acceptable. But if you're writing a general client, like that's for any you know, like I don't I don't control what the what the client side is. I, I don't want to have to to couple it against you know foreign uh, implementations so right and you could just say five seconds well that's what the client needs so just do it on both sides five seconds shall rule them all you know (laughs) Uh, but then once again you're still kind of coupling right there's still sort of the magic number for for heart beating on both sides which which is okay i mean it's acceptable i suppose in some cases but it is coupling so if you don't want to couple and let's say we don't want coupling here then you have to have pong Right. So the server is going to send a ping to the client at whatever frequency it wants. And then the client will echo that back as a pong. And then the server will hear it back. And then the server can control how often that happens. And so if it hasn't seen a pong within, it's going to send something out every 30 seconds. But if it hasn't seen a pong, you know, within a minute, then it's going to close the connection. And the client will send a ping out every five seconds. The server will echo back. And if the client hasn't seen a Pong within 10 seconds, because typically you want your pulling interval and then your your death interval to be double, right? Um, Wait, so just, it, yeah, to like, I send a ping every five seconds, and if I haven't heard something in 10 seconds, so it allows an extra ping interval for the server to get back to me. Kind of, that's the idea. You yeah, dub, that's why yeah. the doubling. Yeah, yeah, the idea is technically it's it's frequency plus propagation delay, right? So so if your if your timer is operating every five seconds, and of course timers aren't like super perfect, but they're close enough. But if your timer is operating every five seconds, so you have a little bit of error in there, and then it has to send the ping and receive the pong. So there's a propagation, there's a transmission delay between the client and the server, and the server and the client. So you can't really know it's dead until that propagation transmission delay is has been passed. Right? So you're so the soonest you could know something is dead because if it dies just immediately after your last one, the soonest you could know it's die is your ping interval, like like your 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 interval plus your propagation delay plus your error, right? Your variance, your jitter, whatever you want to call it. And so so <laughs> On most networks, it's really low. So once once you get past a second, you're probably faster than almost anything's propagation delay. And and if you have like a second of latency in modern networks, boy, you know you definitely are having connection issues. <laughs> but if you double right. it, yes, the idea it's is unsafe. you're gonna have more than enough. And and sometimes you'll even get two in in certain intervals. Right. Right. So if we want to send pings on both sides and send pongs on both sides or respond with pongs on both sides, 
Um, this is kind of what I was talking about before, which was like our application is now ready to handle handle <laughs> handle uh, new encounters with the world. So the world now exists where you know TCP is unreliable, and so so what what do we need to do on the server side to to basically because not now both sides need to be, to send pings and both sides need to respond to pongs. So they yeah, and and the sending pings that's a timer kind of problem, right? So you need you need a timer on the client, you need a timer on the server. That timer has to wake up, uh, wake up, you know, some thread, right? So some it calls some callback, and then and then that whatever that callback has, it has to have access to the web socket to be able to send the message. And so I think I think in our case, um. We'll we'll kind of ignore the client side, I guess, in this case. But you can you can just use JavaScript as timers, and because um, you know we we haven't really talked about how we manage the WebSocket there. But whatever is managing the WebSocket there, you know, it just has to be in scope, right? Wakes up, sends a message on the WebSocket, goes back, you know, sleep. On the server side, yeah. in our component that's managing the socket pool, it's like perfect place, right? This component. It has a start method and a stop method. So we can start the timer on component start. We can stop the timer on component end. And then it can wake up and it can it can deref the atom. And now it has all of these potentially open connections. And it just goes through each of them and it sends ping, 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 ping on all of them. And right. then Yeah. So Yeah. So that so that takes care of so actually, when I was thinking about this before, like I was thinking about like you would like to have like a timer for every WebSocket, but what you just said is a really good idea. Like, there's no reason to have one timer per socket. You can just have one timer for the, for all of them. I mean, going through a list of sockets and sending pings on all of them, like it doesn't matter when the last pong happened or the last message sent, anything. You just it's time to send a ping. You know, it's a very simple kind of. Uh, brute force is not the right word, but it's a, it's a very easy to understand way to ensure that every socket gets a ping at the right interval, at whatever the interval the, right. the server wants. Yeah, and we're using ALEF for our WebSockets on the server side. And so the handle itself, the WebSocket handle that, that you use to send messages is thread safe. So you don't have to worry about some notification coming through and it gets a handle out of the atom and then they both try to send a message one Aleph is going to handle that. One of those messages will right. be first. One of those messages will be second. You're not going to get some kind of like XORing of the bits <laughs> as they as they smash <laughs> well, into each other and disintegrate. <laughs> right, because it's it's kind of, they're kind of like coercing channels where you know only one you know only one can write at a time. Um, yeah, it's very and, much like the kind of the tricks the logging APIs use. You know, I remember back in the day using logging API sometimes and seeing the output get interleaved. <laughs> Two log lines like end up with characters oh, wow. mixing together. Yeah, like way, 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 way back in the day. <laughs> but th- that basically, you like, you never think like, oh, when I call log info, you know, is this going to get mixed together with another logging statement that happens at the same time, right? Like, like a thread safe, especially because shared yeah. resource deals with that for you. And and Aleph yeah. does in this case, it do, it do, yeah, and it handles it quite well, um, and uh, so that so so a timer for pings, uh, but then the the other side of it is a a, um, a handler for because we have to basically when the client sends us a ping, we need to be able to respond back, and so this is we oh. we talked about it before, um, this is actually our opportunity to use the um, 
is it is it manifold or I forget the because right. manifold has a actually... consume function right? right because Aleph gives you web sockets but they're just manifold streams and so I I don't know I always find it's like what's Aleph and what's manifold and so <laughs> right. I, I end up having both of the APIs open right because yeah. anything about like open and close and all that that's all Aleph. But then once you have the handle itself, it's manifold. And so manifold has a consume function. And it's kind of interesting. This is actually the first case in this application where the server needs to listen for something, right? Like when we first started this, the it was a client. The web browser was the only thing that ever needed to listen and react. But now the server needs to listen and react because it needs to listen for ping messages coming in so it can send pongs back, right? Yeah, and the nice thing is it can set up that consume right when... Because the, 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 the web component will say, hey, register the socket, you know, and here's the user ID. And so at that point in time, it can just, you know, consume just takes the socket and, and, and a callback. And so we can close over both the user ID and the, and the pool. And so when, 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 there's, when, the, when a message comes in, it knows, it knows this is a ping for this user ID. So I know which socket to basically um, send the Pong back on. Well, it can it just close the over the socket. It doesn't even need to worry about the oh, user. Oh, you're right. The, yeah. yeah, it doesn't even look up the it, socket. Right, it can close over the socket itself. Yeah. Right. And because ALF, once again, gives us this strong threading model, right? So now now we have three possible entry points. We have, we have a notification, the web layer saying, I want a, no- a notification to get sent. So that could be trying to hit the web socket at the same time. A ping comes in, and then the callback that we gave to consume is fired up in, in its own thread, you know. And then we have the timer running in its own thread, trying to send a ping message. So, so you could have three threads all contending to write to this at once: the timer thread, the callback thread, and then the web thread, right? And all of these are done in pools. So you have your timer pool, your ALF has its own IO pool, and then the web has its own IO pool. Right. So when, and, when that when that socket yeah. handler, when the consume handler is called, it's not called on the the um on the thread that was in the component or the web. It's actually in ALF's own pool. And so there's a possibility that you need to send a, a ping at the same time a new WebSocket's coming in. So, you know, how how like it's 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 transactional. So like if if both of those things try at the same time and one one fa- one works and one fails, then how 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 does the how does the atom resolve the the like does does do atoms retry? I forget. Yeah. So you the callback that you put in when when you call swap and the function that you provide swap to execute. That needs to be um, safe to retry, so oh, it should be it pure. It should be pure. It should not do I/O, right? So, so definitely, like you don't want any I/O in there, because what will happen is if there's contention, one of the swaps will win and one of them will fail, and so the one that won, great, it's done, it gets its answer, it moves on, and the one that fails gets run a second time against the new state that the first thread produced. And so definitely you want to make sure your swap functions are pure so right. that and they can be case, retried. And in this case, all of those functions will be 
pure functions because they come from the pure pool namespace. So if we make sure right. they're all pure, and so because they are, then they will they will they will obey the semantics of of the atom, and will be safe. Yeah, and mm-hmm. so that pure pool namespace is going to need uh, some more functions because it's gonna we we need to weigh a way to note that we heard, you know, we heard back. So so when we send a ping, we want to know what time we sent like last ping time. And then when we hear a pong, we want to know last pong time. And and then then when it wakes up to do the pings, that same time or when it wakes up to do the pings, it can it can look at a socket and it can look at that data and go, oh, this one's dead. I need to close it. And then it can it can swap it out, right? And so the trick the trick there in swapping it out is you wanna you want to have like an identical comparison on the actual socket itself, the, the one that was saved in the atom and the one you want to swap out, just to make sure that your some other new socket didn't get installed between when the timer deref the atom and got the list of sockets and decided this one's dead and it needs to go. <laughs> right. So is that where, the, that where we might use... So there, there, there's a version of swap that you can actually basically get get back the old, like when I swap, I get back the here's the new and here's the old, and so you can actually compare to see if the old one was the right one. Oh, oh yeah. Well, I guess yeah. There's two parts to that. So I guess if if the timer wakes up, it has a list of open sockets. It it's gonna look at the metadata first and and find whether or not that socket was dead. You know, if if the last Pong received has been too long, like we just use like unit, like we just use milliseconds from the epoch, you know, like good old fashioned Unix timestamps, I guess, milli timestamps. Right. Yeah. And so if that, if it wakes up and goes, it's dead, well, then that function, it needs to, so, so then we'll have a, a function in our pure model, like uh, remove socket. So it needs to take a a socket itself, right? Like a socket reference. Or the user ID, and, right? Oh, I guess we would need to close over or, the user ID. Yeah, or, yeah. Well, we, we'll know the user ID too. Yeah, we'll see. So, so we'll hand it a user ID and a socket reference. But it needs a socket reference because it needs to do an identical comparison because we want to make sure to only remove the socket that we know is dead. If another socket showed up in that atom in the meantime... We don't want to remove that one, right? So, gotcha. so, so the the pure transform is get the like inside of the pure function is pull 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 the socket out. Does it identical? If it is identical, then dis- dissociate. Else, return right. the original map because someone else put a new socket in there. Ah, right. so we don't and, need swap valves at that point. Well, no, but we still do need swap valves, uh, which is wonderful addition to closure. Came in in one nine. Um, definitely awesome because it gives you the old state and the new state of the atom. So we still need swap valves because we need to compare the the before and the after because if it didn't get removed, right, then we don't want it like if it, if, if they're not equal. <laughs> so if it got removed or there's a different one installed, then we want to close the socket, right? 
like it's a it's safe to we want to close socket. we want to close the socket that we have that we that we do that we extracted before any any transaction because that really right. is an old socket <laughs> right and if it's and if there's a new socket we want to ping we want to send a ping on that one you know we want to you want to basically handle both of those cases um for, for oh, this. you know, but maybe you're right. Maybe we don't need swap valves because we have a reference to a socket we know is bad. So we just call this safe remove that, that won't actually remove a new thing and it will remove an old thing. And then once that's done, then yeah, we we just call close on the socket we have. Yeah, because we know oh, yeah. it's safe to close. Yeah, we know it's safe to close already. Yeah. And so the key here is the the you're going to get correctness across your threads so long as your io handle is thread safe so that we're using thread safe io handles and you're using swap or you're using atoms along with you know swap or swap valves like the right way and and it does get kind of nuanced when when now you have all these different possible entry points that can do things um the timer thread or the callback thread, or the web handler thread, right? There's three different threads now right. contending on this one thing. Yeah, and, and and one of the cool things is if you look at the way that, so we had to add code to the pure model to to, to, to basically add more accounting, because before all we were tracking was the the socket itself. Now we're tracking when the last ping in Pong was, so we can, we can know, we get some accounting information so we know when to um, call those out. And we need to add more code to the the socket pool component uh, because it needs to basically have hooks for you know either updating or using that accounting information. But the nice thing is the web component stays the same. All it needs to do is say add socket or send the message on this socket, and it, and it knows that it will all be handled for it. Yeah, the web component officially does not care, right? The socket <laughs> just is more reliable. Great, it doesn't need to care. And and then what's cool about this, the pure model, the pure pool, as we called it, is you can you can put the predicates in there, too. So if if the logic like is this socket dead, right, you put the, you know, time has time timed out question mark function or, you know, or is dead question mark function can go over in that pure model. And and it's once again we're elevating the vocabulary, right? So the component, yeah, the component is working with words and phrases at a semantic level that are exposed by the pure model. So you can read the component code and understand like what it's doing conceptually, and leave the the map, associating, dissociating details over there. Right, it lets you it lets you 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 not have to dip down into that layer of abstraction, but it also means that that layer of abstraction we can change away the change around the way that it the account is actually stored depending on on what the concern is at that level without impacting the one one above it. Yeah, so so the uh, the encapsulation aspect of it I find is something a lot of programmers think of first. But as you as you progress in closure, the linguistic aspect of it is something I think you begin to appreciate too. The giving, not just simply encapsulating it so you can change it, you can change the inner details without having to concern anyone else. But but by giving it names with meaning, you can read the code that uses it and and comprehend it faster and correctly. Yes. 
And uh, and speaking of comprehension, <laughs> uh, we ho- I hope that uh, this has uh, made sense to all of you out there listening. Um, and uh, and and if it hasn't, please let us know. We're we're actually um, this is probably one of the most the like the most complex parts of there are hardest parts in in dealing with web sockets is getting all this this. Um, heartbeat stuff you know um nailed down um so if you out there have have encountered it or or solved it in a different way or have comments about how we've done it please please let us know we'd love to hear yeah definitely and and definitely these like web related episodes run long because complexity costs (laughs) oh yeah right and you pay in time and and confusion So, uh, yeah, this is all complexity that's foisted on us. Thank you, standards bodies in the internet. And just the world is a complex place. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. When you when you want to call an API, it has to go through eight routers on the way, you know. Thank you for having that poss- being a possibility, but also then you get all the complexity too. Yes, but we, we would love to hear your story. Send us an email at feedback at closuredesign.club. Or you can tweet at us at Closure Design or hop into the Closurian Slack channel, Closure Design Podcast, and chat with us there. Yeah, please, uh, if you have anything that you would like us to talk about on the web or in another topic, um, we've got lots of good ideas um, and things we want to talk about. So please let us know. Uh, if you'd like to hear about what we've talked about in the past, there are all of our past episodes and show notes are on the web at closuredesign.club. Yeah, go check it out and uh, check out some of our back episodes. Highly recommend uh, our episodes that talk about the REPL, episodes that talk about like lifting up the semantic, the language ones, you know. So go go check them out at closuredesign.club. That's going to be it for us for this week. We will be back next week to chat about closure some more. Thanks for listening. <laughs>